1: Use the promo code Big Blue for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween season.
2: Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my seltzer-loving friend, Nick Philato over there. It's got the Waterloo, very underrated seltzer. I think LaCroix is. is still the number one, but I'd say Waterloo is probably two. Bad take, Dan. Bad take. Good. It's
1: we LaCroix, I believe. It's what LaCroix, it? I believe.
2: LaCroix. Sure. I'm going to call it LaCroix because it sounds better as LaCroix. And we'll find <laughs> out the real, we'll we'll, we'll soon find out what, the, what that actually is. But look, we're bringing the mailbag to YouTube today, but you might be listening on your podcast feeds and that's fine too. This is the mailbag. We love doing mailbags. Um, we tend to miss questions based on, la- there's a lot of questions that come in, which is a great thing. Makes us feel good. People want to hear us. So, but we don't want to miss too many questions. So we just kind of, no intro, let's let this thing rip. All right, Nick, so I'm going to start. Dan, before, with before you start,
1: yes. just just stand up a little bit so we can show to the YouTube audience that we're not wearing the oh. same exact shirt right now. No, this, is
2: my, uh, fantasy, this is my fantasy football today shirt. This is uh, the draft-a-thon shirt. For those of you who might have donated to St. Jude, thank you. Um, for those of you who didn't, I still love you, so next year you can help us out and donate but uh not the same shirt all right let's dive into this thing we'll start with peter f who asks how has your long-term view of the team changed after the first uh, four weeks i had a pretty optimistic
1: view of this team heading in just because i thought joe shane and brian Dable were good football minds to bring into the building and they were refreshing and they were also outside of the organization. It wasn't this nepotism type of hire. Not saying that Dave Getterman was pure you know, cronyism or anything like that, but he was a Giants type of guy. So I had a pretty high opinion with this staff, but they substantiated my high opinion. And I maintain said high opinion right now because of everything we've seen. We know this roster isn't great, Dan, yet the giants sit at three and one. And I understand that their schedule hasn't been that difficult, but I don't know how you can really view anything about Joe Shane and Brian Dable negatively at this point. I think the, the path to success, the giants are on the path to success right now. It doesn't mean they're going to get there, but I think they're on that path.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say it hasn't really changed too much for me personally, as far as my long-term view is. I came in thinking this is going to be a team that, well, I'll say this. It's changed in the sense that I feel now that the coaching edge could give them more wins than they would have gotten at this point now and then at any point coming up. So that's the one thing that has changed. As far as regime-wise and long-term view, well, I felt good about Joe Shane from the start. I like how he's ground the wire out this year with Jalen Smith and Landon Collins now, which we want to talk about in a second because I don't think we got any Landon Collins questions. We'll probably do a quick interlude to dump dive into that. Actually, there is I think one Collins question about how they'll use him, so we can wait for that. Um, but I like what Shane's done in season as far as long term view of the roster goes. Well, I don't feel like I've learned anything too new about players this year, right? Like I have personally do not feel any differently long term about Daniel Jones than I did before the season. Not yet, so that's the start and that's the most important thing. I already felt this way about Andrew Thomas. One you know one player that I might have I'm starting to feel a little differently about is Dexter Lawrence. Um I was already happy they picked up his his option cuz I'm not a huge believer in the cap anyway. <laughs> and I believe in it. I know it's a thing, but look at what Howie Roseman does. Enough said. Look at what the Saints do. Enough said. That's the way to play the cap. But um and the Giants are going to be fine by the way on the cap for a long time to go. Uh so I'll say like little things have changed for me, Nick, but overall, like the big one, which is Daniel Jones, that has not changed yet at all for me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And it's just great. Also, we should acknowledge
1: Saquon Barkley because there was that's some question mark.
2: You're right.
1: You you and I, though, we, we were high on on Saquon Barkley's ability to come back from this injury and, and at least from a fantasy perspective, be a, a very valuable asset. And I think he's probably, I would say, superseded both of our expectations. And we were high relative to a lot of other people.
2: Well, we did put him at like 2,000 yards each on our bowl predictions. We both kind of had high <laughs> predictions on it. So we're like right there in line. But I'd say my opinion on him has at least changed somewhat on what to do long term with him. I spe- it's, it's changed a lot, man. He came off two bad seasons. Like people can blame the injuries all you want. But he just did not look at the same confident runner on tape that he's looked now uh, for four games. So, yeah, it's a great question, Peter. I still think, you know, as far as. How do I feel about this team's long-term ceiling? You know, there's still things that need to happen for me to feel better about that. To be honest, that look, it's not a knock on the Giants. This is the life. This is life in a league where there's Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes. You got to beat those guys every year to win a Super Bowl or Brady or Rodgers, as long as they're they're still in the league. So Frank the Tank asks, I have a semi-serious question. Forget that Kenny Galladay is an MCL right now. Assume he doesn't. Would Galladay back with Matthew Stafford in Los Angeles matter? Would it make sense? Could you trade Galladay for Allen Robinson straight up? The money is similar. I don't even know if the Giants would want to do that.
1: I think both receivers are, are, are cooked at this point. So I think it's somewhat moot. Frank the Tank, by the way, Frank the Tank, you're awesome, my man. But yeah, I think it's somewhat of a moot point. To, to even discuss those trades. And I, I don't have the money in, in front of me at, at the moment. You say it's similar, I'm sure that it is, but I, I don't think that they're, either team would probably be willing to do that. It, it The whole Los Angeles Rams situation is, is kind of crazy, man. That They invested like over $40 million into Allen Robinson and the guy never gets looked at at all, unless they're in the red zone with like a, a silly fade pass that never works.
2: Yeah, I think part of the issue right now is that offensive line is terrible. And we see this all the time with bad offensive lines, you can't get through all your progress like Stafford's really just going a cup or Higby right now. As far as like the idea behind this trade, Frank, it's interesting because like maybe you can sell them on repairing Galladay with Stafford, but with the injury now to Stafford, I mean sorry, to Galladay, that's it's Kind of a moot point. Uh, I just don't think they're trading for an injured player. Um, and again, like Nick said, we don't really need an Allen Robinson type on this roster. We need speed, we need a speed, we need some kind of speed at receiver. Um, I don't know where they get it from. I think it's you can get it from Slayton. I feel like trading Kenny Galladay for Allen Robinson
1: might be a decrease in your run blocking while also true. Minusing what an inch or two off the receiver because both of those receivers are contested catch guys who can't create any separation whatsoever. So it might as well keep the guy who has at least been in your system a little bit longer.
2: I think that's a good take. All right. Rob Allen asks, is the NFL game starting to transition to a more to more balanced offenses again?
1: I think so, but I think it's not necessarily just purely a transition. You you react to what the defense is presenting you. And we see these quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, they come into the league and defenses are reacting to the fact that they can throw 60 yard touchdown passes every game, multiple times a game. So they're playing more too deep, more safeties deep, trying to remove the explosive play. So to combat that, Typically, you're going to have lighter boxes. So now you can run the football. And I think that is kind of balancing everything out a little bit. It's going to be a a tug of war match between the offense and defense between running the football and passing the football. And I just think the wise offensive coordinators exploit the vulnerabilities of the defenses that are presented in front of them. And I think that's what we're seeing.
2: Yeah, Nick nailed it. Look, we've seen a huge influx of teams. The Giants are not one of them, but teams playing a lot of too high safety looks or a lot of looks that basically are designed for one reason and one reason at all to take away big passing plays. And look, it works to an extent, but there will be a t- I think there will be it's so cyclical in the NFL, like t- teams, transition teams, not just transition teams like um, what's the word? They um, adjust, and so at some point, we're going to see a situation where teams are going to figure out how to pass against these defenses. And we've seen it, and it's not like it's impossible. Um, Josh Allen adjusted, Patrick Mahomes adjusted. And eventually, there are – I mean, ultimately, there are like a handful, I would say, Nick, or less or fewer of quarterbacks who can just rip whole shots against these zone coverages anyway and destroy you like that. Um, and those are probably going to end up being the best quarterbacks to have, I think, ultimately, if teams are going to play this much zone. And this only really works long term anyways, if you have four pass, if you have a four man pass rush that can get home because eventually otherwise good quarterbacks can take advantage of even that kind of defense. So I think for now, though, with the way the NFL is now, the interesting thing, Rob and Nick, is that it could help out a team like the way the Giants are built right now, a run first team, a team that, um, you know, doesn't really generate or hasn't really generated much in the passing game yet. And so maybe, you know, you look at it like, well, if teams can't hit the big play because defenses are taking that away, there's more value to having a a team set up the way the Giants are currently set up without really a vertical passing game. But ultimately, no vertical passing game to me means no Super Bowl. And we'll see if I'm proven wrong on that. And there are always outliers, but it's really tough to win without a vertical passing game. It's incredibly tough. We also have a question, and I believe, is this from Rob Allen
1: as well, Dan? Yeah, he has two. Yeah. Even though Kafka has been creative with the running game, do you see it as gimmicky? And do you think the league will catch up with it? It's an
2: interesting question. Um, Gimmicky? No. I think some of the like, it's not like it's gimmicky is an interesting word. Like if they were running like Wildcat, I'd feel like that's a little more gimmicky. Um, Yes. It's not like a gimmick. It's just, will they adjust? Yes. The league is going to see the film on what the giants are doing. And it's not going to be as easy for them to run these, to run at least from the boot action standpoint, like from what they're doing with Jones. But as far as what Barkley is doing, it's not like they're reinventing the wheel or or being very gimmicky in the run game. They're developing and establishing a run game. And it's not even as diverse as I think they want it to be. I think eventually they're going to have a few more elements in that run game. So, I don't think they'll catch up to that, but they might adjust to the bootleg pass, like the bootleg action that the offense is using.
1: Honestly, the defense just needs to account for Daniel Jones and his ability to run the football. And that's what the Chicago Bears did not do. That's what the Dallas Cowboys did not do, although the Dallas Cowboys were doing basically everything else right from a defensive standpoint so once that happens and I'm sure it's going to happen very very quickly because defensive coordinators are smart and they will see the film they'll see what the Giants are doing and the Giants will be forced to adjust and hopefully everything we've seen so far Brian Dable Mike Kafka have shown the ability to adjust so hopefully they can adjust off what the defense presents them now the kind of unfortunate thing for the New York Giants right now is if you want to attack through the air, which we've seen Daniel Jones have success doing in the past, who is he throwing the football to? And that's like a whole nother conversation because you still have David Sills and Richie James as like your primary receivers. Kenny Galladay wasn't doing anything, but now he's gone. So that's going to force somebody else to step up. Like, are we going to see like players like Pimpleton up in the lineup and, and these guys who are just young and explosive players who are very, very raw, who have had mistakes in the past, just in like the preseason with drops and things like that. It's not a great situation from a receiving standpoint. And I'm sure every defense is like, well, are we really threatened by David Sills and Richie James? Probably not. So it's going to get interesting here shortly. And it's probably going to start in London against Joe Barry and that defense that can really get home.
2: And I will say this. Because I think it's important to say, because I know me and Nick have discussed this off pod a lot, and we want to be the podcast that tells it like it is, even though, you know, there's not, it's not always out there. We personally do not believe that the only reason the Giants are not passing the ball at all for more than two injuries a game is because they have an O-line issue and a wide receiver issue. We personally believe part of this is the quarterback, and we've seen it. We've seen it play out. I I think you guys have too. You've seen quarterbacks with issues on the O-line and wide receiver still create things vertically. Justin Herbert's a great example. His rookie season, there were injuries at wide receiver. I know he had still had some better receivers than the Giants, but it's not really like he had separate. Like Keenan Allen is not really a separator, and he was hurt. Mike Williams is not really a separator. Some A lot of this is still on the quarterback. It's still the most important position by far. It's still a position where you can create on your own, too, as a passer. And so we just have to consider that as well. I, most of the rhetoric I've seen about why the Giants can't pass this year is think nobody can pass with these receivers, right? The only one can pass these O-line. Well, I don't know. I think Mahomes could. I think I Her think that's could. a good point.
1: I think that's a good point, and we're not just doing this to disparage Jones. Oh. One thing too, I think Mike Williams is what we all hoped Kenny Galladay. Would yeah, be, yeah, right. That's
2: like the optimal no, situation. I Kenny Galladay could separate a little more vertically. I really felt thought he had more more burst off the snap off the line of scrimmage. I feel like every time Mike Williams jumps up at the catch point, he's like
1: seven hundred feet in the air, and then yeah, he falls at the, the catch
2: point, he's unreal.
1: Yeah, it, it's crazy. But to to your Jones point, we can even see. Little examples of what you're saying right now throughout this season, week one, right? they're in the red zone. They throw Daniel Jones, just inexplicably throws a ball into a place that gets intercepted when he doesn't need to week two, two minute drive, flat defender, Frankie Luvu, friend of the podcast. Not really best friend in Nick <laughs> Pilato, Possibly he goes to the curl flat. He covers a lot of ground. Daniel Jones puts it right into his hand. Should have been a pick six drop little things like that. And I think Daniel Jones has played well so far this season for what the offense has asked him to do. But one of his biggest issues is turning the football over. It's one reason why Jason Garrett was so conservative too. I think he's naturally conservative, but I think the quarterback definitely assisted him in his conservatism when it came to play calling and things of that nature. So I think that's just something that we have to keep in mind here. I just don't believe Brian Dabo, Mike Kafka really want to put too much on Jones to where Jones can make one mistake that is going to kill this team because this team battles, man, this team is fighting all the way till the end in every single game so far this season, you throw a pick six, that's going to basically ruin the New York Giants. And then you're going to force the Giants to get away from their run game because they're going to have to pass more. And I don't believe they want to do that because of their offensive line, because of their receiving weapons and
2: because, slightly, because a quarterback. Yeah, we just caught the call. Like, this is, I, I don't know why some people can't grasp this, but it, it's part of life right now for the Giants. And, you know, this is, not a, this is a team that has zero margin for error right now. They can't throw a pick six in a game. They can't have a sack fumble for a touchdown in a game. They're winning games 19 to 13. They're winning games by a field goal at the last second that goes one way or the other. So they have a specific style right now. And I think that's a big reason why, They don't want to open it up and throw the ball. Yes, maybe it has to do with these receivers getting injured and not knowing the offense, blah, blah, blah. They can't separate. The O-line isn't great. But also you have a quarterback with a turnover history. There's no way around that. That's exactly what what he has been. Um, And also with a history of just slow processing post-snap and not understanding everything pre-snap, where things are going to be after the snap like that's one of the like rogers we all talk about like oh he sees the field so well these types of quarterbacks the Rodgers, the brady's they can they can beat the blitz they see the field so well part of that is also pre-snap like they're get they're guessing and they're predicting the rotations from the safeties post snap and where the coverage is going to be and then sometimes they don't even need to see the field well post snap because they've already predicted it and that's something we still need to see from a better from jones to be a natural perfect passer. and unfortunately we may not get that this year because if they're winning games with this style of offense, if they continue to win games. Nick, I don't think they're going to change anything. Right. Like if they could just win games with a run first offense, bootleg action using Jones's legs, some like little throws here and there. Why change it? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean,
1: it's it's going to be interesting to see how this offense adjusts week by week, opponent by
2: opponent. So yep, we'll look into it. All right. Greg Kayola asked, which current giant would you most like to grab a beer with? Oh, I love this question. Yeah, what
1: current game. giant would I want to grab a, a whiskey with? Whew. So I, let's do an offensive one and a defensive one because the defensive one for me is Dexter Lawrence. I think he, that, that dude is, is so much fun. I love when he's mic'd up going with Dexter Lawrence. Offense, I'm thinking of an offensive lineman. I mean, I want to kind of go with Saquon just because he's Saquon Barkley, but I might end up going with Andrew Thomas. And I don't know. I think that would be not a party type of vibe. It'd be more of a reserved intellectual type of vibe where you can talk to the exact dude is smart, man. You could talk to him about anything. He's a musician. If you want to pick his brain on any of that kind of stuff. So I think I would go with Andrew Thomas and Dexter Lawrence.
2: Okay, I'd go with Daniel Jones on the at the uh, on the offense. I just think I could get a lot of info. I just want to know I think the quarterback's gonna give me the most information I want from like and this is all assuming like they'll talk to us about, about football. And if they're at dinner with you, they don't really have much of an option. I don't know if you've ever seen that episode of Curb, uh, Nick, where there's a guy who like bids on a lunch with Larry David, and then Larry yeah. David tries to make it like the most obnoxious lunch possible. So he'll just like end it early, the guy. <laughs> but um it's kind of like that. As long as he's willing to entertain us, Jones, I'd pick Jones. On the defense side of the ball, um, that's a tough one. I think I would go with similar idea to why I'm picking the first one, but I think I would actually I think I'd go with Kayvon Thibodeau. I really like how I, I love his conversations with the media. I think he sounds like a really, really intelligent person. Um streets super street smart, probably book smart as well. I don't know that, but I don't care. Um and I think he'd be a great person to have a combo with, so yeah. Uh, every time
1: I guy. see k Mon in an interview, I, I tune in. He's yes, he's he good, very, though. very fun to listen to. And I think he's gonna have a bright future here in New York. Jake the Giant asks, any thoughts on how DJ Davidson has played when he's on the field? I've seen him make a few plays. Hashtag big blue banter.
2: Yeah. Davidson has made some plays when he hasn't gotten that many snaps out. Uh, he hasn't flashed as much as a pass rusher, but he's been he's been doing his job pretty well in the run game. I feel like I don't I don't have too much else on him.
1: Yeah, he has 36 snaps on the season. He only played nine last week. And I felt like I saw him a little bit more in Tennessee and in Carolina, but he only played seven and eight snaps respectively in those games, but he ended up having a couple tackles and he was getting in on tackles. I don't have much either for, from just what the film has said. I feel like he's anchored down. I would say adequately one time. I think he got kind of out leveraged and pushed out of the gap, but he did find the football. Let's see what p- pro football focus twice. And I actually thought it was twice in Tennessee, but they have it once in Tennessee. So overall, I would say it's just been okay, but we haven't seen really too much of them.
0: Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: Why is this new water called Liquid Death? Because it will brutally murder your thirst, and the recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. I've tried Liquid Death, and I am still here. I'm not plastic, nor am I thirsty anymore, because my former parched state was quenched by the tart, acidic taste of one of their flavors, Severed Lime. The lime became severed because it messed with another Liquid Death flavor, Mango Chainsaw, which combines real agave nectar with leather face to slice the uncomfortable drought festering in your oral cavity. Into berries and fruit? Go six feet deep with a heartbeat with their sparkling flavor, Bury It Alive. If you love still or sparkling water, go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or hy or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. That's liquiddeath.com bigblue. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then oddstrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day weather and bet tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity so if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code blue that's oddstrader.com slash blue wire Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day
2: bets all right we have let's see where we're at we're at mikey asks If Jones gets the green light, you still expect to see a lot of play action bootlegs. Last thing we want to see is a limited Jones. See the Arizona Cardinals game.
1: I don't think, and I'm not a doctor, but I don't think this injury is as, as bad as that Arizona Cardinals one was dude. He can hardly, it was his hamstring. He could hardly move from the practice videos that I've seen. He looks like he's moving pretty well. If he's moving like that on Sunday, now I don't know if he's going to be moving like that on Sunday after he takes a hit or two, but if he is moving like that on Sunday, then I think they could still work the play-action game and the Giants should feel comfortable using him as long as it's not one of those situations where it can get significantly worse if he takes a hit or something like that. That's kind of where I'm at with Daniel Jones. I'm going to trust the training staff and the doctors to make the right decision with that one, and I don't believe this is as serious as it was back in 2020 when they faced Arizona because that was, that was ugly.
2: Yeah, Nick nailed it. I think if he's playing, he's going to be able to operate the playbook fully. And if that's not the case, I don't think they should play him. And that's not my decision to make. But I would much rather see him rest, get fully healthy, so he can operate the full playbook if they feel like he can. If they put him out there, they feel like he can can operate the full playbook playbook and they don't feel like he has a high risk of re-injury, that's fine. But if Tyrod Taylor gets cleared... I would, rather, I would still prefer to play Taylor this week just so Jones has an extra week to heal up. I'd rather have Jones at 100% than if there's, like, let's say, a 35% or a chance of re, risk of re-injury. I wouldn't put him out there personally. This is a tough game anyway against the Packers, and I'd, I'd just prefer to get him 100% healthy. But if they feel he's 100% healthy and they're playing him for that reason, that's fine too. Totally understandable. Green Machine asks, Dan, who's the low-key star or stars of the Giants so far through four weeks? It's hard to be low-key and a star at the same time, Green Machine. Uh, so I'll just answer as the unheralded. But actually, I can, I can think I can do it. Maybe still low-key a little bit would be Dexter Lawrence as a low-key star, I guess we can say. It's still a little low-key there. Um, but as far as like a low-key unheralded player, for for me, it's just 100% Ben Jihad Ward. Like, yeah, Ward has just been – I mean, this happens a lot with these D linemen we get. Austin Johnson, um, the dude from Mario Edwards. We had a good year out of him. This is just the state of the interior defensive linemen around the league. It's a big reason why I don't really love investing in the position. But overall, it's fine. We have two great players there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's been great, Jihad Ward. And he's, like, came in as, like, a hybrid. But he's playing – and he's been best on the edge, I think, for the Giants. But overall, he's just been an excellent addition for this roster.
1: He's more of an edge than he is an interior defensive lineman. Right. And out of like the edges that the Giants just signed a like one-year contracts kind of see, like he's had much more of an impact than a Kyler Fackrell will say. Also, sure. I think Winks' defense allows him to have said impact. But every game we've watched, Jihad Ward is right there making plays. And sometimes the plays aren't even statistical uh they're not they're not even worth any statistics it's just like setting the edge keeping it narrow so the linebacker can come in or the three technique can crash down the line of scrimmage to keep that stuff really narrow and just cause basically a traffic jam at the line of scrimmage jihad ward was the first player that came to my mind there dan so i was trying to think of maybe another one maybe a dory jackson just because you don't really hear all that much about him but i just I feel like when we watch the film, he's rarely out of position. He got beat by Darno Mooney on the one play. He might have thought he had safety help to the inside, but Xavier McKinney took the horizontal cross up from the backside of the formation. Maybe that's why he was a little bit on the outside and trail. So I would like to think that's the reason. But other than that, I feel like a Dory Jackson, again, is,
2: is in position very frequently and continues to impress. All right. Lyrical Cynical asks, between you and Dan, who wins in a dance-off, Mario Kart, and arm wrestling? Okay, so
1: a dance-off. I'm going to go out on a limb and say neither Dan and I are very rhythmic dancers. Uh, I would say since I worked in performing, sports performing and stuff like that, I can cut a rug maybe to the level of a... Let's see. I'm probably like a Tay Crowder where if, if you need me out there, I, I can I can perform. But over long stretches of time, you'll realize that I only have a couple moves and, and then I'm like done. So I would say as a dancer, I'm like a Tay Crowder on the Giants roster. Dan, are you like an Austin Kalitra or are you a little bit upgrade over that? I've never seen you dance, I don't think.
2: I'm like a David Mayo when the Giants tried to use him on the edge as far as a dancer goes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I got one move, but it's a, just a funny joke move. And I pull it out. It's called the double lawnmower slot machine. Uh, I pull it out sometimes. I'm just like one of those joke dancers. Like I'll get out there, I'll do funny things. I'll be entertaining, but I don't have any actual like good moves and I can't move my hips. I'm a Jewish kid who's five foot eight, like tight ass hips. So I need to, I need to like figure out how to like stretch your hips. So like, I, it's just a general problem in life, Nick, you've, you've seen me try to squat. I'm a horrific squatter based on hip tightness. Um, and ankle, apparently it's ankle flexion too. So whatever it is, I can't dance. So that one goes to Nick. Mario Kart is not my game I don't, not know, I don't think either. it's your game either though so that's like a draw I would say I, I,
1: I can I can play it but like so my, friends, I, my, my friends my yeah. friends are like I'm one of the worst ones out of my friends. I can't do yeah. the drift
2: shit. I can't do any of that stuff. Oh, I can um, do the drift shit. I can do the drift okay. shit. So you're probably a little better than me then. I mean, it can drift, but it's not a good drift. Arm wrestling, Nick's got to win that one. That's that's, that's freaking obvious. This kid cares so much about his health and his strength. <laughs> he's never going to fall behind in a strength or health thing. You gave uh, tough ones here for me to win. Let's just be honest. Like Yeah, let's get Chugging, give contest, chugging ping beer, ping beer destroy oh, me. Chugging, oh, chugging beer, he, he would destroy up, me.
1: Pong. Ping pong, he would kill me. Tennis, he oh, would murder me. We
2: used to play, me and Nick, yeah. at first, Nick thought he could beat me in ping pong. He was really excited about I did that.
1: beat you a couple
2: of times you had for somebody, like two who, of like for somebody who
1: for somebody who like never played or anything growing up like I just kind of picked it
2: up I, I developed into a pretty solid player you were a good player but at the beginning you were like thinking it was a little bit of luck that I was winning and I had to make it clear that this was not a luck base you're career. pretty good you're pretty I'm, good. I'm decent. I'm not even that good. You should see people who are crushed me who are actually good, but I want but you to um, play
1: one of my buddies who has like, like 35 inch arms and he's just, <laughs> yeah, that's sick. A joke. yeah, I beat him like
2: twice in my life. And I was like, Oh my, like that was like a huge moment, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> me and Nick have actually had some competitive games. The best, I think the most competitive game we play, uh, would be stratomatic. We've played it a few times. That's it's what a, it's called. Yeah. I was going
1: to ask you I what that game that. was called. Yeah. yeah. Greatest game
2: ever for any of you nerds out there, football nerds out there. It's literally the best game ever created about football. Um, It's a board game about football, but it's perfect. It's you're the offense coordinator and defense coordinator. You're moving pieces on the board. You're setting up your defense. It's just as good as it gets from a football nerd standpoint. And we've had some competitive games in that one because we try to match it up so we have like even quarterbacks and things like that. We haven't played that in a while, but that's definitely a good one. All right. Do
1: you remember when Mike Kafka, uh, like two weeks ago, he was interviewed and he was talking about like how he lays a bunch of situations out and they basically play a game within the Giants room on based on situational football. Football and he was yeah. like kind of laughing with our
2: porters about it. My mind went right to Stratomatic. I'm like, yo, what if they're playing Stratomatic up there? So, <laughs> so shout out Stratomatic. Nobody plays it. Nobody knows it anymore, but my dad taught me it. he grew up on the game. Just such an unbelievably underrated game. Um, all right, let's go from DJ fundamentalist. He says, Nick, who are your favorite comedians and do you prefer club or theater shows?
1: Okay. So my favorite comedians, I would say Bill Burr, Louie, Tim Dillon, Chappelle, big, big Mark Norman fan. Love Mark Norman. I saw Shane Gillis last week. He's hilarious. Chris Rock, Sam Morell's funny. Segura, hilarious. Uh, To go a little old school, I'd say Richard Pryor, George Carlin, can't go wrong. Love Mitch Hedberg. And I'm also a huge fan of Bo Burnham. I know it's a little bit different, but just as an artist... Love Bo Burnham. In terms of theater, I don't know if I've ever been to a theater show, and I've been to so many club shows. I saw Neil Brennan, who's also really talented, in a a short room. So it was a small room, short room, whatever you want to call it. It was like 35 people. So it was very personal. I really liked that experience. Typically, I go to shows that are like 300 people, which is also fun, you know, just in a club. I I would imagine, even though I've never been to theater, that I would prefer a club just because I feel like it's so much more of a comedy vibe and it's not as kind of like big and glamorous as a theater. So I would definitely go club over theater.
2: Yeah, I like all those takes. I've been to a bunch of comedy shows myself. I think the club is definitely better. I've also been to a stadium, the PNC. I saw Bill Burr and PNC about two, three months ago. That was the greatest comedy show I've ever been to in my entire life. It had nothing to do with the venue, though. The venue was probably the worst I had been to. But more importantly bill burr was just out of control good that night and he, he's amazing i mean he had an unreal set that like didn't apologize to anyone which is my favorite kind of sets like the non-pc sets and then he did 30 minutes riffing on new jersey that was probably the best part he spent like he broke off and did an extra 30 minutes in the middle where he's just ripping on jersey and it was just unbelievably funny uh but it's burr Louie, who i've seen like three times and um and, uh, one of the guys you already mentioned too, who is also up there for me, maybe it wasn't Dave Chappelle, but I do love Dave Chappelle. You, you mentioned somebody else. I forgot who now Mark Cigaro, probably Mark Norman. I really like Mark Norman,
1: Mark Norman. Oh, pound Tim for Dillon. pound. for Yeah. Tim Dillon. I know you're a big Tim Dillon. Love Tim yeah. Dillon. Mark Norman pound for pound is so funny. Like if anybody doesn't know Mark Norman in there and they like comedy, go and look him up right now. He's, he's been in the comedy game for, for quite a while, but he's still a younger comedian. I think he's still in his thirties. He's Absolutely freaking hilarious. Big Mark, uh Mark Norman fan. I saw him maybe about six months ago down at Stand Up Live in downtown Phoenix, and it was an absolute blast.
2: And he was a little Damn, wasted by awesome. the end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> see him. That's pretty cool that he, you got seen recently. Um, all right, let's dive back into some giants questions here. I think we let off on this one. So Stash Bradshaw Bradshaw asks, and this is actually not going to be a Giants question, but deal with it. He asks, food question, mate. Love to hear mate. Um, Of the 32 teams, what one dish from their hometown's cuisine is the greatest dish of all? Okay, I'm going to let you go with this first because you're more of the foodie than I am, and then I'll think of something. I wish, Stash, that there was a team in Austin, Texas, but I also have had Houston, Texas, and I would say Houston barbecue, the brisket, barbecued brisket is the best dish you can have but generally speaking barbecue is the best and it's nick filato friendly because you can literally just it's just meat and like sauce it's like not that bad for you you can it's basically just protein not any like you can i mean if you get the sides you're going to screw yourself up and nick's probably not going to get any sides but you can even get like decent sides that like are probably healthy for you like green beans and shit like that so i would go with texas barbecue I'd go with the San Francisco 49ers and they have this bang
1: and kale salad out there. That's just absolutely <laughs> not. Nah. I've never been to San Every Francisco. Kid, nah. You can fart and snip your own fart too. I'll say this cause I live out in Arizona. The Mexican food out here is amazing. Dan, if you get out here, bro, we are going to try some freaking elotes and you're going to absolutely uh, freaking love it. Like the
2: down to that. It's great out here, man. Love good food. Um, All right. Good question. Stash. Big Dash asks, who deserves more credit for the offensive play design? Brian Dable or Mike Kafka? Big Dash, my friend. So it's it's hard
1: for us to really have an answer for this question. I'm not sure particularly. We know Kafka's calling the plays, but I'm sure Dable has some sort of influence over what's going on on the field. He's probably in Kafka's ear. I'm imagining a ton. So there's really no way for us to know this. I'm just glad that they're together because they both seem like progressive offensive minds.
2: Yeah, Nick nailed it. I mean, it's stable system and it's all, it's Kafka calling the plays, but to be fair, this is not really I mean, with the exception of the pre-snap motion which we've seen in the past from both coaches. This is a new offense. Like they designed something specific for what they have to work with this year. Daniel Jones at quarterback. A progressing offensive line that's not there yet in pass production and whatever's left at receiver due to the injury. So, like, I don't even know if this is like the offense they wanted to begin with, but it's the offense they created. It's the offense that they're designed to win games. And they're not like, look, the Giants could have easily, with these injuries at receiver and and with the situation, whatever's left at I'm not going to get into it with their offensive personnel overall. Let's just say that could have easily been like the Colts right now who are averaging 12.5 points per game or the Broncos who are like third fewest points with like 15 or 14.5 going into tonight. They're not though. They figured out a way to design a scheme that can score sometimes and score touchdowns. That's the difference right now between the Garrett offense and this one. Um, And so, yeah, it's hard to say who's really to credit right now, but I'm just going to go with both as well.
1: And if you look at the Broncos, too, like that's a new coaching staff implementing a new system with some moving parts. They are 10 times more talented in terms of the skilled position guys that they have with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, needing KJ Hamler kind of coming back from an injury. They arguably have a better offensive line. Obviously, Saquon, Javante being out really sucks, but Saquon is above Melvin Gordon, no offense, Dan, and Javante Williams out there but you can see the struggles, man. Like they could barely scored against like the Houston Texans. So that says something about the current coaching staff and what they're able to do with the personnel that they have. Dan, Michael Benoit asks review of the interior offensive line play at the quarter mark of the season who has improved and which position likely will need an upgrade this
2: offseason? I'd say Ben Bredesen to start has improved for sure from what he's been at least to where he's at now. Um, gowinski just keeps going up and down for me with the, with the exception of really the pass protection hasn't been epically good at any point. It's been pretty good. It's been, a, it, it's been at times pretty good, I should say, but overall bad, clearly like very bad week one, very bad week three. Um, And you know, most people would say probably wasn't great week two. So I wouldn't say improvement there. Feliciano had like a better game last game and he's been okay in the run game, but I'm not a huge Feliciano guy either. So I would say, you know, just to review it at the quarter mark, they've been, at times, really good run blocking. Um, pass blocking hasn't really been there at any point, I don't think. Though it started to show some signs last week for what it's worth. Though, again, I think that's more matchup based against the Bears. It's going to be really tough to, to deal with this Packers' defensive line overall this week. So where do I want to see the most upgrade in the offseason? Where's the likely upgrade? To me, it's coming at center. I don't think Feliciano is going to be starting center next year. And there's always good opportunity to get center, like to, to quick upgrade at center. Teams have done it in recent years, you know whether that be Creed Humphrey, Eric McCoy, and the list goes on and on with some of those like immediate upgrade centers you can find in the draft. Yeah.
1: And we'll have to wait and see when Nick yeah. Gates, the, that whole might get situation, lucky that would be fantastic. Yeah. But I, I also believe that the offensive line is, I would say solidly better than what we saw last year, <laughs> you know, substantially better, but there's still holes. There's still issues along right. that offensive line. And I think, A good pass rush like what we saw against Dallas is going to absolutely exploit what the Giants want to do from a drop back passing type of play. That's why we see a lot more move the pocket. One of the reasons why we see a lot more move the pocket and the growth of Andrew Thomas is one thing that we need to acknowledge because he was great last year. He, I would even say is better right now. Yeah. Yeah, so like that's huge for the New York Giants. And I feel like still not as many people are talking about it. We see it all over Giants Twitter, but you're starting to see like big personalities, offensive line personalities like Duke Manny Weather start to tweet about it, and that's when you're going to start seeing more of the national media be like, "Oh, this guy said he's good, so I guess he's good." And, and that's I think what's going to happen if Andrew Thomas maintains this level of play.
2: Yeah, that's a great point too as well. All right. Adam Johnson asked, Hey fellas, I'm curious to know if you did any film study on practice squad wide receiver, Marcus Johnson, and if he can be of any help, if he does get the call up.
1: Yeah, he played last week. He ran one route on a vertical. I've seen a decent amount of Marcus Johnson throughout his career, dating back to his time at the Colts. I think he spent a little bit of time with the 49ers as well. I'd say he is a guy with good separation ability, which is something the Giants need. He has solid overall size and. Other than that, that's those are like the two main things that kind of come to my mind when I think of him. I can't go into extreme detail on how great he is at setting up his routes and releasing off the line of scrimmage and things of that nature. But if you're looking for a, a receiver who is over six foot, who can create separation through just pure athletic ability, you have two of them on your roster right now and Darius Slayton and Marcus Johnson. So I wouldn't be surprised Marcus Johnson gets called up for the second consecutive week and we see much more of him in this game now that he's a little bit more ingratiated into the offense and now. That Kenny Galladay is injured.
2: Yeah, I like that take. I mean, I would. I hope he's not going to just be on the field for like that one snap they had him on, where it's pretty easy to tip off a deep pass when you have Slayton and him as your only receivers on the field. I didn't love that from from a coaching standpoint. I hate when you have the tip off plays, and that could be could probably consider one of them. But you know, if you can find more of a role for him that you that you feel comfortable with, I just like always having speed at the wide receiver position. To me, it it helps the scheme out so much. So we'll see what happens there. Again, got- I remember. I remember, yeah. like,
1: I remember he was a fantasy relevant at one point of his career, and it might have been back in 2020. So I'm looking oh, yeah, right now that. for some of his stats. I remember when he was with the, I think it was the Colts. He came in, and yeah, he had a. Uh, 28 catches that year for 255 yards in the middle part of the season. And I think he had a season ending injury that year. So not huge stats, but he ended up getting, you know, a sor- solid target share and earning the trust of that coaching staff until he was injured. So hopefully they can strike something there with Marcus Johnson, who is still under 30. He's 28 years old. So it's not the youngest type of receiver been around the league a little bit, but man, slim Pickens at the wide receiver position right now for the
2: Giants for sure. All right, NT verway, NT verway, whatever that means. Do you think Daniel Jones' tendency tendency to escape the pocket more this year is the coaching staff reinforcing to him to be more creative and in playoff instincts or is it pure, purely a result of poor offensive line play and it's all that he can do to keep the plays alive? I think it's a combination of both, but we've heard Mike Kafka I believe it was Kafka,
1: it might have been Dable, say something about how they're instructing Daniel Jones to take the yards if they're there. And I think we really saw that against Carolina. It seemed like he was much more prone to, to bail the pocket in that game. And we kind of bashed him a little bit on the initial reaction podcast. And then I think we heard the comments from Kafka and Dable, whichever one it was, say something of, along the lines of, yeah, we want him to do something like that when it warrants. And I think that might have also been a byproduct of what we saw against Tennessee, Dan, when Jeffrey Simmons was just blasting through the line of scrimmage. Maybe they were like, hey, in this situation, when you have this three technique, who's right up in your face before you even hit your back foot bail, if there's an opportunity. And I feel like the tackles have expanded those edges pretty wide. Right. And some of those edges are also playing contain on Daniel Jones when there is traditional dropback, And Daniel Jones just hit that B gap, He's hit that B gap. I think that's a coaching point. And I also think the fact that the offensive line isn't great in pass protection helps the coaches make that point essentially.
2: Yeah. I think you did a great job breaking down, but just to keep in mind, just keep this in mind as well. We've shown this on all of our film review, not all of our film reviews. I don't think there were a, at least not an example I can remember from last week, obviously didn't throw the ball that much, but on each of the first weeks, there's also a third factor in play here, which is Jones not processing the field and not seeing the open receiver. We can think of the Kadarius Tony wide open deep over Sterling Shepard in the red zone for a touchdown. um, Daniel Bellinger in the red zone for a touchdown the week, but the week after that, I think it was Carolina game. There's been multiple examples. Um, There's been some underneath stuff that he just hasn't processed fast. And so part of it is coaching. Part of it is just, if he doesn't see it quick enough, there's not many options but to run because by that point, the offensive line has broken down. So, yeah, and with all the factors Nick already mentioned as well. Dan, Green Machine asks, are you watching
1: House of Dragon? If so, what do you like so far and how does it compare to Game of Thrones?
2: Yeah, I don't miss a House of Dragon. It's appointment TV for me. It's not as good as it's not. So what do I like so far? What do I like so far is that it's a good question. Like what to I think I just love the genre and I love like the Okay, I love like the um, history, the political myst- I love the history. I love the lore. I love the the political, like um, the political goings back and forth, like the small council meetings, the scheming, all of that stuff. It's missing comedy, which the last one had, Game of Thrones. But the fact that, like, the fact that I'm enjoying it to the point where I'm still watching it every week. At this point of the of where the show is at is a good thing because again, as I've heard, the first nine, the first eight episodes of this series are literally just a prologue. They're what you would open a book and you would read that memory, every book you've ever read. There's a prologue before even chapter one. That's literally what it is, all set up for what's going to happen, which is a civil war. It's going to be insane when it happens. Because we already saw last episode. I don't want to do too many spoilers, Nick Hate's when I people hate spoilers, so I'm not going to go too far with this, but I'll just say this talk to me like mid season two and i'm probably absolutely loving this show and thinking it's as good as game of thrones that's the projection for me this is a projection based thing but um as of now i'm just pretty much like middling enjoying it how about i you? like yeah,
1: I like it. I mean, I'm a Game of Thrones fan, but I'm not as much of a Game of Thrones fan or nerd. Maybe I should even say as like someone like Dan. I'm like the yeah. kind of guy who watches it. And then like I don't think about it for like the week yeah. until my girlfriend's like, hey, let's watch it again. And I'm like, oh, OK. So like that's kind of where I'm at. But I do enjoy it when, while I am watching it. And I love Damon's character. So I'll say that.
2: Yeah, Damon's a good character, even though he's an asshole. He's a good character. Rhaenyra um, uh, is is good. She was better, I think, as the young, like, younger version. We'll I see. agree. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we should can bounce back here. Um, but the one character I'm starting to really like is uh, the second the second son of Alicent, um, the one who got Vagar last week. Sorry, this is just it's hard not to spoil when you're talking about a show. So it's a it's okay with that. Yeah, I'm hoping some people who haven't like if you okay here's my thought on all spoilers, Nick. If you're like a big fan of the show and you're like four episodes behind and you hear a question asked, what do we think about Game of Thrones? I'm hoping, you know, to fast forward, like it's on you kind of, you kind of have to know to fast forward. It's not really on me. It's on you. So I can really feel bad.
1: that, but sometimes people, you know, they're, they're driving. They don't want to look down, you know, yeah, I'm not spoil. I'm a big non-spoiler.
2: I am typically a big non-spoiler too. I just think you your rules are a little more strict for it, but <laughs> is what it is. All right. 14, Fourteen nine oh eight asks, Dan, what would it take for you and Nick to want to re-sign, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. I think Shane would be okay with both of them gone, but if they play really well, not sure what the other options would be. See,
1: this question will be better at the end of the season, obviously, but I don't know. Like, I think Daniel Jones can get re-signed to, like we said, maybe slightly more than the Mitch Trubisky contract. I don't think they're investing anything big into Daniel Jones. I think it all depends on what Joe Shane and Brian Dable feel like about the upcoming class of quarterbacks. And if they're going to have an attempt to get one of said quarterbacks, if they love one of those quarterbacks, we know that already just by Shane going to so many of these games from all the leaks from him being at the Ohio state Notre Dame game. And you're going to go there because there's a lot of prospects anyways, but to suggest that he's not interested in CJ Stroud, I feel like would be ridiculous. And as for Saquon Barkley, Do we really want to pay Saquon Barkley like $18 a year or whatever he's going to attempt to command on the open market to reset the running back market after so many injuries? Look, I'm open to something, but I would want it to be more team-friendly. And I think Saquon Barkley is going to position himself in a manner that is just like, look, I'm not taking any team discount, nor should he. He's going to play his ass off, and there could be a team that is willing to pay him because he's playing as highly as he is, and I'm just not certain if that team should be the New York Giants. It's, it's it's one of those situations that I can bounce back and forth. I can see the pros and cons for both sides of everything, but at the end of the day, I'm still a little hesitant to allocate so much towards the running back position off of an amazing year when the previous three seasons were ho hum.
2: Yeah, it's a, great, it's a great question, and I like your answer, Nick. I'll start by just – I'll do this one piecemeal, one by one. We'll start with Daniel Jones. For Daniel Jones, for me, it would have to be similar to what Nick said. No better options. They don't feel like they have any option in the draft. And he would have to take a smaller salary. It's not going to be a situation where they're like, well, you're Daniel Jones. You were drafted six overall. Here's $33 million a year. No, no, no. You have to take around what Tyrod Taylor took, a little more. That's it. Maybe what Mitch took a little more, or you have to play a lot better than you have. I know if some fans feel like he's played really well so far. I don't know where that's coming from. He's executed an offense that's not that's that's very limited right now, and they haven't thrown for over 200 yards in a game, and that's 200. That's not 250. It's not 225. It's not 275. That's 200. So right now they can't. They it's not it's not all his fault. Part of the issue is the receivers. Part of the issue is the offensive line. All the stuff we've already discussed. But right now, they can't operate a rhythmic offense through the passing game. That, to me, doesn't deserve $30 million a year or $25 million a year. You want to sign a deal like Trubisky? Fine. That's okay. I'm okay with that. But if you're asking for $30 million a year, you have to at least, projection-wise, prove that you can operate this offense much better than Tyrod Taylor. I know everyone's so convinced he can, but Tyrod's never had an opportunity to play within this offense yet. Until last week, where he had a few snaps before he got injured— And he operated it pretty fine to me, Nick. Like he found Slayton for an eleven-yard pass. He tried a bomb that was probably stupid. Whatever. He ran the ball just like Jones runs the ball, and he didn't have many opportunities to throw on the run. But I've already seen on film that Tyrod can throw on the run, so I think Daniel Jones is better than Tyrod for this offense. I'd rather have Daniel Jones, but not if it's fifteen to seventeen million more per year, right? So that's the whole thing. There's have to remember Tyrod's already under contract. You don't have to pay him anymore. Um, so it's uh, to me, it's about the money there with Saquon. Here's my deal. If I'm resigning Saquon, it has to be a short-term deal, two to three years max. And he's going to want three, so a three-year deal like the one Galladay signed. It also has to be Shane breaks from what he's done already, Joe Shane. He has to be willing to front load this contract, assuming they have all the cap space, we assume they will, and really make it so if he does get another major injury, they can get out of this contract before year three that's the big deal here we know that one running backs fall off a cliff after 20 after the age 26 season just purely over time massive 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 sample size of running backs falling off a cliff two he has an injury history already this is a really risky asset to resign from all of that standpoint now he's still an amazing player he's amazing this year so far and I think he'll probably be amazing next year, at least if he stays healthy. The year after that, he should still be amazing. There's a non-zero chance he's amazing for three years if they sign him to three-year contract. But there's also the chance that he gets re-injured, and then what? You don't want to have to have guaranteed cap to a player who's done from an injury standpoint. He's already had major injuries, so. For, for me, for Barkley, it has to be front loaded for Jones. He has to play a lot better to me, at least so far. And, and all that requires is have a rhythmic, rhythmic passing game. And if not, and again, I'm not saying it's all his fault. There could just be the same situation, Nick, that we've been in for four years now with how can we evaluate Jones without without yada, yada, yada. So <laughs> how do we know? But even so, even if that's the case, and I agree, that could be valid you can't invest 30 million in a player where you just, the, the, the whole thing is you don't know. And the assumption is maybe he could be good if he has the right pieces. So that's the key there. All right. Your boy asks the quarterback, Daniel Jones can throw and run his teammates. Love him. He's tough as nails. What's it going to take for the national media to stop treating Daniel Jones like a laughingstock? That's a loaded question. <laughs> your boy. I'm not sure exactly what
1: would it, take I would imagine probably a couple games where he throws multiple touchdown passes and more than 275 passing yards Leads some come from behind victories against quality opponents so really just good football against top opponents in big situations is, is probably what would constitute the national media giving him some respect or at least a little bit
2: more respect than maybe he's received from them. Yeah, I'd say for for him to get respect, it's going to take develop f- consistently for four or five game stretch, have a rhythmic passing game. A rhythmic passing game means you're throwing in the intermediate range early and often. You're completing those. You're hitting the, the easy layups, too, which he's already hitting. And you're hitting a one or two over the top in a game. You hit that. You start to develop a rhythmic passing game. You're going to start to get media attention. But you also have to not turn the ball over like that, because why are they whipping him right now? They're whipping him because he's not. He's not throwing for 250 or 275 yards. Like Nick said, he's not having multiple touchdown passing games and he's turning the ball over still. And, he, and right now he hasn't turned the ball over at a high rate, but he's had turnover worthy plays. Nick broke them down earlier. The one that should have been intercepted against Carolina and week one, he had two turnovers. So if he can find a way to like play like the top quarterbacks, he's not going to um, get this national media all over him. And so, you know, you say he can throw and run your boy, but I think me and Nick would both agree. This is our perspective. We still need to see that he can throw. Can he throw physically? Of course he can throw physically. He shouldn't be in the NFL if he can't throw physically. He's made some great throws, but we don't want some great throws. We want rhythmic passing. We want consistently good throws over and over and over again in a game. Like Nick said, what we want is a two-minute offensive drill that's all through the passing game. A fourth-down comeback that's mostly passing game. That's not just Saquon Barkley carrying it and then a couple runs when he gets a good call from Kafka and he gets a free lane. And we also want, in addition to all of that, maybe they fall behind by two touchdowns and he leads them back by passing the football. That's how you get the media off his back, passing exactly. the ball consistently. Exactly.
1: And first, you could also see it make defensive coordinators That's pay true. for right. loading boxes and really playing the run. Now he's making those defensive coordinators pay for not respecting his legs. Now make right. them pay for not respecting his arm. And I understand the wide receiver situation. I get that 110%, but even if it's from the short to intermediate parts of the field, right. taking advantage of safety rotations, taking advantage of the coverage pre to post snap when it is different, those are things that have not been consistent with Jones since he arrived here in New York. So if you start doing that, you start matriculating the football down the field and you become more efficient in the red zone, not just from, you know, right. RPOs, dumping the ball, to Daniel, Daniel Bellinger for the touchdown, not just with your legs, but also with Quick game concepts and with just good ball placement and with split second decisiveness when the safety is not in position, you take advantage of it. Plays like that, I feel like will
2: garner him the respect that a lot of people believe he deserves. Great point, because right now defenses aren't respecting him from a schematic standpoint. They're playing a lot of single high at wildly shallow depths. The Cowboys game I went to, they were playing a safety at a wildly shallow depth. They put no respect on the quarterback. And like Nick said, the red zone passing still isn't there. He's processing slow in the red zone. He hasn't made one good throw into the end zone yet. To be completely honest, like, let's just look at a situation. Bellinger was a free TD by Kafka. The the other the Myrick was a free TD by Kafka. That's not Jones. And he processed slow on the other Bellinger open through the seam in the red zone. And then the, the shepherd open in week one. So you want him to get respect. He's got to pass the ball, dude. And it's not just like, can he do it? Can he throw that throw to Richie James where he pointed out? No, no, no. It's got to be consistent. This is what the NFL is. Like, it's okay. Like, he's doing the best he can right now uh, for what they're asking of him, kind of, but not necessarily fully. Like Nick said, he's missed some reads in the red zone. And again, if you're playing, if you're going against single high where the defense is just daring you to throw the ball, all they're doing is trying to get rid of Saquon Barkley. There has to be something there. I don't care if you have nothing at receiver, I don't care if Bachman, David Sills, and some other dude are playing receiver for the Giants right now schematically speaking, there are ways to beat defenses that are playing single high looks and, and at shallow depths and just not really respecting the passing game whatsoever. So I don't know.
1: We have one more Daniel Jones question, but we kind of touched on this already, Jonathan, but I'll ask it if we make the playoffs this year, how would you feel about franchise tagging Daniel Jones? And I want to add the caveat. If he starts to throw for like 250 yards, three touchdowns and maybe gains a little bit more leverage in terms of contractual talks.
2: Yes, if he starts to throw the ball well and develop a, and the Giants develop a consistent passing game that's throwing the ball for 250, 275 a game, at least two touchdowns a game, maybe a couple games with one, a couple games with three, whatever – Then I'm interested in the tag right now, as it stands, as he's played through four weeks, I am completely uninterested in the tag. A lot of people throw out the tag. I do not want to allocate 33 million to Daniel Jones right now. To me personally, if the other option is, if the only option is you tag him or you pay him a deal that's like two years, 60 million or something like that, where it's similar to the tag, I am not convinced that just letting him walk. And putting Tyrod Taylor in there versus what you can get for that thirty million in cap space on the free agent market, or just the health of not having that thirty million against your cap. I'm not convinced that Daniel Jones is worth thirty million more than Tyrod Taylor right now, or whatever it would be, twenty one million more, whatever it is. And that's a,
1: and that's a good point. Dan, don't like tag?
2: What'd you say? Oh tag. You're not a John
1: Hamm guy. Don't like Jeremy Renner?
2: Uh John Ham Jeremy Renner. Is that a movie tag? Yeah, tag, yeah, from uh, like I don't know, definitely. a couple of years ago. Wow, never seen it? I don't know. I think I've only saw it once, but okay. I just
1: wanted to use a movie reference that you didn't get because it's always on my end, you know? Yep, (laughs) (laughs) sure. All right, so not Joe Shane asks if you were forced to bring back Nate Solder at his worst or Jake Fromm at quarterback for a full year, who would you choose? I'd bring back Nate Solder at his worst.
2: Yeah, it's a fun question. These fun hypotheticals are always fun to me, I should say. Uh, not Joe Shane. To me, it's an obvious answer. It's definitely Solder. Um, you know enough listening to me talk through this podcast. And Nick feels similar to this, by the way. Quarterback is way more impactful for winning football games than tackle. Way more impactful. Even just looking at it schematically, if you want, you can try to help a tackle out, right? By giving him a tight end, letting a tight end chip, giving him help and sliding pass protection his way. There is no help for bad quarterback play. None. You can align
1: align Jake Fromm up at the wide receiver mm-hmm. and just give the ball to Saquon Barkley. Wild, wild. chat
2: with Fromm in there. <laughs> That's about all you could do. Um, so it's definitely, definitely. And Nate Holder was pretty bad at worst. So it's saying a lot there. Dylan asks, what are your thoughts on under
1: center versus shotgun discussion going around the NFL? And would the Giants benefit from running more under center, which they've done a solid amount, actually, this yeah. season? And maybe the current personnel doesn't allow for
2: that. I felt like, Nick, from watching this offense through four games on film, the only time I ever felt like they were really in a groove on offense was actually this. Um, it was that. Yeah, it was this past game where they were. just. No, actually, I felt like it was the Dallas game where they were under center running a shit ton of play action. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was when I felt like the offense was actually at its best from a rhythmic standpoint. And so I felt like Jones was hitting the back foot off that under center play action. And a lot of times he was just deciding to run, but he was making that decision fast. And at least like, you know, and when he did try to throw, it was giving the giants an advantage. Uh, So as far as the conversation goes, we've seen it, you know, with Mina Kimes and the ESPN live crew yesterday. Excellent. By the way, it was an excellent conversation. And I thought Ben saw actually added some good insight to it as well. Um, just talking about what the Eagles are doing, because the Eagles are kind of throwing it in the face like, you know, they're not under center a lot and they're still very effective off play action. Now, a lot of that is just the personnel they have right now, in my opinion. But I do feel like just from listening to enough NFL players, you do have some what of an advantage running play action out of under center. Um, but I'm curious to hear your take on that, Nick
1: hundred oh, percent. I mean, I yeah. think I think is Marcus Spears and then RG three also talked a lot about it as well, the way they use pistol and how that kind of confused what they were going to do from a, it's not under center, but it's still kind of disguising yeah. if the guy's going to get the football or not and how it has forces hesitation for the linebackers forces hesitation for the defensive line. Marcus Spears, former defensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys and LSU talked a lot about how he hated going up against under center play action type of concepts. And I thought, if anybody hasn't seen it, go to Twitter, look up, just go to Dan Orlovsky's profile. He tweeted it out. I thought it was one of the best conversations I've heard on an ESPN platform for probably a decade, if I'm yeah. going to be honest.
2: Yeah, it's fair. Um, and I think, look, the, the reason why it definitely helps to be under center is because you can't, and this is what they were saying, you can still hide the ball in play action. We saw Daniel Jones do an excellent job of that last amazing week, hiding the ball and in shotgun it's harder to hide the ball but if you go pistol like nick said then you have the opportunity to hide the ball again so i kind of i've always loved the pistol i feel like the pistol is very underrated um doesn't get used often but very underrated i'm a, I'm a pistol guy so yeah, bang um, bang pistol guy yeah bang bang pistol guy so yeah it's a great conversation thanks for asking that question andrew spagnolo and i wonder if he is related to steve in any way or shape or form let us know andrew if you are It's is the same spelling as steve um Percentage chance Nick Gates and Shane Lemieux are playing on the interior offensive line by the end of this season. Percentage chance? I have no clue.
1: I'll shoot a percentage out there, though. Let's go with a 5% chance for them both to be out there. I think Shane Lemieux will be back eventually. Nick Gates, you're starting to hear people talk about how the window is open and he can come back. I'm still not certain as to how ready he is after such a devastating injury. But I hope that he can get back and say that he does get back. Does he actually take the job away from John Feliciano, who has been there training camp, who really knows the system? So I'm not not fully sold on that, but let's put it at 5%.
2: For both of them to be on the field, Nick, I'm going to go 3% it's a lot of hurdles for both of them to overcome to get on the field. Look, Ben Bredesen starting to play improved. He's starting to play. He's starting to be the only guy out there at left guard. First of all, which is a good sign for him. He's also starting to be improved massively in the run game. I know Shane Lemieux started camp as like this locked in starting left guard, but that's kind of, to me, a little bit overwritten. Like I'm, Shane Lemieux struggled massively in pass production his first season we forget almost how bad he was he was the lowest graded left guard in pass production and so if he's not offering that from that standpoint like an upgrade in pass pro I don't know if the coaches are just going to turn away from Bredesen or maybe it's Azudo by then we don't know but either of them is going to have the continuity boost they're going to have played with them now they have to worry about communication issues if they just throw Lemieux in there right and the same goes for Gates to be completely honest versus Feliciano so I just find it tough for these guys to definitely get back into a starting lineup for this year. That's a good take.
1: Who else we got? All right. Um, Sal asks, who snaps is Landon Collins taking and what's his best role for the team? I think he, I think he's here to rotate
2: as a will and take some snaps away from Crowder, but he can't cover. Yes, yeah, so a shout out, Sal, friend of the show. Uh, this is a great question. I'm not really sure yet where I envision the Collins, like what I envision the Collins role right now because I still think, look, he can, everyone's like so set on, you can't have him as a safety. He's got to be a linebacker. And I'm like, I don't know about that. He has good film as a safety too. <laughs> like you don't want him in, co- I think really was that he was at his worst in coverage, not even in the deep half. He was at his worst when he was matched up against tight ends and they're obviously Bango. just not going to have him do that. So we can rule that out. He won't be the guy matched up in the slot over the big, big slots and the big tight ends, fine. That's great. But I could still see him playing some snaps, potentially like in the deep half. And you know, the Giants don't run a lot of deep half. Like, I mean, they run some cover three and they run a lot of cover three and cover one. He's probably not going to be the safety in cover one. Like that's just probably not him. But as far as like will linebacker, that intrigues me too. Um, in certain pass down situations, I don't know what the actual role is going to be from like what position he plays standpoint, but I know that his role is going to be coming downhill, Right as a blitzer or a run stopper in the box otherwise. Yeah, he's going to be a hitter. That's what that's what Landon Collins
1: does. Hopefully, I mean, we're not sure about his health either. There's still so many health questions when it comes to this team. Reek the Ruler though asks, where are we in the Alex Bachman sweepstakes? So for those of you who aren't on Twitter, there is almost a cult following akin to I would say David Sills, it's probably not that that okay, so David Sills has an army, Dan. What does Alex Bachman have like a brigade, a regiment,
2: yeah. the Bachman brigade? I like that. You
1: nailed the it Bachman right away. brigade. Yeah that's, yeah, that's really good. I like that. So the Bachman brigade is is pretty loud right now to bring Alex Bachman back. Look, I I think he replicates what Richie James has somewhat just in terms of being a smaller, shiftier type of receiver who is best operating off the line of scrimmage as a number two or a number three receiver on the right. inside. The Giants need a number one. The Giants need someone who can stretch the field vertically, like we've said throughout this podcast and others. And I don't think Alex Bachman is that guy. I welcome him back. I think that would be cool, but I still think the Giants are missing key pieces in their wide receiver room.
2: Yeah, I think you nailed that one perfectly. That's just not what they need. They need a boundary receiver who can stretch the field. All right, cave, cave, key value pair, value yes. pair. This is like a—is that a poker reference? Value pair. I don't know. Signing Landon Collins gives me 2012 Will Hill vibes without the fear of the failed drug tests. Do you guys view 2022 Landon as a strong contributor in Wink's defense? you expect him to be more of a role player rotation guy? I think we should
1: start with baby steps. I expect him to be a a role player and and a rotation type of guy. And I think it would be lucky if even if he works into a 25 snap game type of guy, I think that's probably a, what a forty percent chance of that, Dan? Like if we had to do these percentages
2: again? Twenty five percent so twenty-five percent of snaps you said? Twenty-five to thirty snaps yeah, a game. The a is like, well well with love injured. Yes, well, the concussion that op- opens up an opportunity, but it is a concussion, which usually when you're cleared from the concussion, it's not like these other injuries where there's lingering effects or where there's like mm-hmm. compensation injuries that come back from it. So he'll probably be back on the field. If love gets hurt, that's when things could change. I just don't see him operating the Dane Belton. Like I don't see him taking snaps from Belton in the deep half, really. No, nah, neither do I. And I think that's where it
1: gets tricky. But either way, I think he can be a value as a blitzer and just kind of as a thumper and somebody who is
2: big and good in run support. And one funny thing, one funny story I want to bring out there. Will Hill was mentioned on this. So back in the day when I was living in my parents' house after college, like right after college, there was a court that we used to play pickup basketball on me and my friends every night, O'Connor Court, for those who are from West Orange area. And at the time, Will Hill was on the Giants, and he was living in the the new apartments that were like right around the O'Connor Court, Nick. And so he would come and play pickup basketball at times. And so oh, – I one time played with pickup basketball with Will Hill, and he was insanely physical. And at one point, he like fouled me into the into like the gated fence, like the into like the the fence, and just fine was wild. There's just so much power behind that foul.
1: I had no idea about this, and I don't know how yeah. you haven't told me this story before. Yeah. All the hangout. We have all the time we've spent hanging out, Dan. Never heard about never, my
2: Will Hill experience, yeah. Will
1: Hill just bodied you, and guess what? Bodied. It was one of those things where you didn't want to call a foul. No, like, I was, it was never like,
2: calling a foul on Will Hill. No,
1: no, you're not calling a foul on Will Hill. It was like the uh, the scene from the Longest Yard with Adam Sandler and Michael Irving. Like, you're not calling the foul there. <laughs> you're just gonna suck it up and try to sink the shot, bro.
2: But you probably <laughs> yeah, didn't exactly. sink the shot against Will Hill, i didn't No, I did not. Um, All right. Takuma Rowe asks, this is a good one. Out of all the draft eligible quarterbacks, who bets fits what Dable and Kafka want to do? And I would say this. I I, I, I changed the question to what they want to do because this current Dable Kafka offense, in my estimation, is not what they want their offense to look like. It's what they're doing with what they have. Exactly. And that's what good coaching staffs do, Right. right? And I'll
1: preface this, and I don't want to speak for Dan, but I'm going to say this for myself. I have not studied these these quarterbacks. I've, I've watched, a, you know, college football on Saturday. That's my understanding of them. If I had to pick one off of that, it would be CJ Stroud out of Ohio State.
2: I would say just I'm going off of traits, just a traits based thing. Um, so traits based, I think they want the Josh Allen mold. I think that's ideal for them, especially because look, you, we've heard like Russell Wilson talk about this and, and Kyler Murray talk about this and two ball when you're a small quarterback, it's hard to see over the defense for that middle area of the field. It's hard to get into a rhythmic timing passing game over that middle breaking air, those on those in-breakers. And that's a lot of what the NFL passing game, that's a good way to get yourself in rhythm as a passing game. So I also want a bigger quarterback, too, for that reason as well. And bigger, I mean taller. And so I think Anthony Richardson, traits-wise, fits that bill the best. I still think he's an insanely raw prospect. But I will say this, having watched enough of, of just from what I've watched so far, cultural ball-wise, and I am, Nick, much, much bigger on going by traits and going by feel for how I see people command. So for example, if I feel like they have a really good pocket feel, I'm going to like that a lot. I'm not going to see that. I'm not going to need to see a million hours of film to know that if I feel like they throw well on the run, I'm not going to see a million. Like some of those traits stand out to me right away. And from all the quarterbacks I've watched, I feel like by far and away, and this includes Stroud and um, the Alabama quarterback, uh, Bryce Young, by, and this guy is not draft eligible, by the way, until 2024. By okay. far and away, if I had to make a bet on a quarterback right now to project to the NFL and be a great NFL quarterback, and let me caveat by saying this, if you get drafted to a bad team versus a good team, it definitely impacts your, your likelihood of being good. But by far and away, it's Caleb Williams, the quarterback oh, for the yeah. UFC. I watched yeah. him play this past game. He had everything i wanted he had an unbelievable feel for pressure in the pocket he had an unbelievable savvy for moving within the pocket for throwing on the run for creating he threw a great ball with unbelievable ball placement and velocity he's big he can run caleb williams from usc by is by far and away the best quarterback prospect i've seen that's going to come out either this year or next i would be so happy if the giants somehow got him it's funny too because we're going to be interested in that USC quarterback and then
1: CJ Stroud who was a quarterback from Ohio State and both of those schools are known right. for not having quarterbacks and you know that's going to be like a huge topic of I conversation that, like I a know huge thing. I
2: hate yeah, exactly. No there's no narrative I hate more than the than the uh helmet the helmet grading narrative. Helmet scouting. Helmet scouting is as literally as bad as it gets and people say but it's worked like you can't find a good Ohio State quarterback to 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 um you know, defer that comment, but it's like, okay, but guess what? They played in a million different systems there. Like, it's not like they've always had this Brian Day system in there. So it's like, so now we're just talking about like every system doesn't work. It's just like, if you go to Ohio State, you're cursed. No, there's going to eventually be a good Ohio State quarterback. And the same thing goes for USC. The UC is not even running a system, anything. They're running the Oklahoma system. Like, what's his name went over there and they're running that. Like, so I mean, Oklahoma has Kyler Murray, right? But Oklahoma system also hasn't looked that good because they got Baker Mayfield and all <laughs> the <guys>. But, um, <laughs> Jalen Hurts, man. Jalen Hurts, baby. Yeah. Uh, I'm, st- I want the- I'm happy this question was asked so I could say on what's the day today? October 6th, 2021 or 2022. Wow. I went back a year. I said Caleb Williams is going to be in that dude. And I'm standing by that. I love what I've seen from Williams. Um, October
1: 6th, 2021. Great day, by the way, last uh, year. Uh, we giants just beat the saints. And then I ended up flying to Ohio to get the puppy that's behind me on the YouTube oh, video. Nice. So it's, it's our one year gotcha day for, for little Phoenix. And we're excited that's about that. Awesome. But- so then we can move to Els and Kells
2: who asks, um, uh, we saw wink changes game plan week to week based on teams, best player. Oh, the team's best player. And last week we saw him change it based on fields, his deficiency and reading coverages, pre and post snap, which leads to my next question. How will Wink Rodgers attack Aaron Rod or How will Wink attack Aaron Rodgers this week? Great question.
1: Yeah, so they played last year in twenty twenty one. It was the game where Huntley went for two, the Ravens went for two, and they didn't get it. And the Packers ended up winning thirty one to thirty, if I'm not mistaken. And what I remember about that game, I looked it up earlier in the week when I was doing research. Played a lot of cover six, a lot more zone, a lot less cover three. Now I think it was like the second least cover three of the season run by wink martindale's defense obviously different situations different personnel so i don't think we're going to see as much middle of the field close and i think that's going to lead good point to green bay running the football like they did last week in their win over the patriots there was a lot of running the football with aaron jones a lot of running the football with aj dillon but i think that's early on i think if the giants stop that Then we're going to see Aaron Rodgers start to cook. I think there's going to be a lot of Alan Lazard. I think you're going to see some big Bob Tunyon. And I think Romeo Dobbs is probably going to have a good game. But in terms of what Wink Martindale is going to do, I don't expect as aggressive of an approach. He's still going to try to blitz. But I expect to see a decent amount of quarter, quarter, half, and quarters type of coverage to attempt to
2: defend Aaron Rodgers and his ability to attack every inch of the football field. I hope you're right about that. I mean, they played a lot of cover one, cover three last week. I don't, I saw some major glaring flaws in the cover three looks that I saw. Like it was Justin Fields in the Paris passing game, thank God, but I was like, damn, there were opportunities for a good quarterback to rip some whole shots here and as far as cover 1 goes like like you said middle of the field close safety that's a massive risk against Aaron Rodgers and i think you're right about nick they're not going to want to like play a defense that's doing that the whole time i don't think they're going to do what they did week 1 against the titans either where they kind of like stacked the box and tried to like, you know force everything inside in the run game so i'm actually curious to see i think what your guess is nick is probably the best guess but i'm I, i'm more uncertain about how they're planning to play Aaron Rodgers than any of these other game plans so far this year
1: and as for pressure, I think it's going to be twists. There's going to be even more yeah. twists than what we've seen. And then simulated pressure, which we've seen a decent amount of this season. You know, dropping yeah. O'Shane Zimenez yeah. off under, drop O'Shane Zimenez off, blitz take Crowder, blitz Darnay Holmes. I think when you do that with the cornerbacks, though, very dangerous game. Like if yeah. you want to do that with a number two receiver, with Darnay Holmes over the number two receiver, and there's so much space between Aaron Rodgers and that number yep. two, something Wink has done a couple times this year, and Baker Mayfield processed it. You know, Ryan Tannehill processed right. it. Aaron Rodgers is going to see that. So you got to get a little bit more creative with your simulated pressures, maybe with the linebackers and then dropping whoever that weak side end man on the line of scrimmage off underneath the slant to the free access side of the field.
2: Phenomenal point by Nick. If Tannehill and Baker Mayfield can process it, you know sure as hell Aaron Rodgers is going to process it. has to be pretty – like, everyone – one thing I found funny, everyone hated the Giants game plan last year against Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. They're like, this is not how – but I'm like, if you blitz these guys, you are more screwed than if you don't. And I feel like the same is pretty much true for Aaron Rodgers. Like, you're going to have to win with Kayvon Thibodeau winning one-on-ones, with Zizo Ojolari if he plays winning one-on-ones. And I don't know where Ojolari is at. I think he's trending toward not playing, right, Nick?
1: I'm not a hundred percent. They hour. don't give us
2: anything on the injuries. It's just like a guessing game at all times with this giant staff, as far as the injury goes. So don't take our word for any injuries, but as far as the guys they have out there, I think what I've heard, at least from Dan Duggan, he was saying Leonard Williams might play, which would be huge for the giants. Tiger um, blood.
1: You yeah, hear that? He says absolutely. he has tiger
2: blood. They have to win up front with the, with, I hope they have to win up front. My, what I would say, Els and Kels is try to win with a four man pass rush first and see what happens and see if you can, get it done that way Um, and we'll see what happens there it's going to be it's going to be a really tough matchup for this defense absolutely dg the one and only dave gettleman asks do you feel that zone or man
1: coverage bodes better for creating interceptions it's
2: definitely zone
1: i think it's just i would say so but i think it also comes down to your personnel who is in man coverage True. Uh, is the quarterback attacking that player in man coverage? but yeah, definitely zone. But I would say more importantly, it would be the disguises that you can implement due to your zone coverage and how you rotate your right. safeties and trying to create trap type of coverages that fool quarterbacks pre to post snap, something that we talk about a decent amount on this podcast. Cause it's something that I feel like earlier in Jones's career, maybe we even saw a little bit more of than now where teams are just really focused on kind of stopping that run, like just Something that we saw Patrick Graham do a pretty good job of, those trap coverages. haven't seen it as much with Wink Martindale. It's been a little bit more vanilla on that end, but there's still been a ton of other than the the simulated pressures and the end man on the line of scrimmage dropping off. I'm talking at least a little bit more from a safety type of position, but the safeties will still rotate like crazy. But that's like Julian Love in the A-gap, sugaring the A-gap, and then rotating to a deep half and just crazy stuff like that that Wink Martindale likes to pull out of his rear end. So I would say disguising is probably the most... The, the best way to come away with interceptions. So these be guy's better in zone.
2: Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting what you said. I mean, team started by playing a mix of man and zone against Daniel Jones his rookie year. And he was so much better against man. Then they started doing what Nick said. They started playing him in zone coverage because they knew he couldn't take advantage of zone. And now, like you said, they're not even doing any, they're just literally just trying to stop Saquon Barkley in the run game every week. And, and they not, haven't been able to so far, which is amazing. Despite yeah, Daniel that, Jones. It, it took a while for him to, to uh,
1: really take advantage of, of zone coverage. I yeah. think it was like late in the season. He connected on a touchdown pass to Rhett Ellison, if I'm not mistaken. I think that might've been, and I don't even know if that was just, that wasn't even country type of zone. That was right. a modern match. And I think Rhett Ellison like, caught the football and like rolled into the end zone for a touchdown. But yeah, early in his career, he uh, really struggled to process how to put touch overneath those underneath defenders. Essentially. I
2: still think he struggles against zone coverages. Yeah. To be completely honest. I mean, otherwise we'd see more yards. Let's be honest about the situation. Uh, even fair. though teams aren't really playing as much zone against the Giants, but still. Um, All right. Let's see what else we have here. We've got Robert Markowitz, who says, if Jones is 80% healthy and you're the head coach, do you play him?
1: Yeah, I think if if he can execute your
2: game plan and there's no risk of re-injury, then, yeah, you can. So for me, that's I actually have a different answer than Nick. I wouldn't play Daniel Jones this week at anything but 100%. And I don't know if he is 100 percent. If they if they're like, look, there's no risk of re-injury. He's 100 percent. Fine. I'm OK playing him. But otherwise, why not take 14 days if you can take 14 days? Now, this is also dependent on if Tyrod Taylor is cleared. If Tyrod Taylor is cleared, this is my answer. If, if it's going to have to be Davis Webb, then I'd just rather play the injured Jones. And but if if it is Davis Webb and, or if it is an injured Jones, and 80 percent Jones, let's just say not injured. And they're down by two or three touchdowns or something like that, or two, three scores in the first half. I might even just go to Webb in that. Like, I don't want to risk re injury with Jones. I don't want to make this worse than it has to be. Like, I, right now, it seems like he avoided a major scare to the fact that he might even play this week. Probably going to play this week, but fourteen days feels like so much better than giving him six. So I, I, I don't know. I just I feel really cautious about this idea of playing Jones. We'll see what happens. I hope he doesn't re injure himself because that would really suck for them.
1: I mean, Joe, like, it depends. You're talking about 80% specific to that injury. Then, then yeah, I think what you're right. saying right. makes sense. But, like, nobody's 100% right now. True. Like, no true. one.
2: Is. Like, they're, they're all no, swords are a super tough guy, though, and he's going to play and be like, I'm yeah. not that injured. And if he actually is, it's like, I hope he doesn't re-injure himself. That's just You, you can't have a Cardinal situation to go no, back to what we yep. – that, that was terrible.
1: Frank Corona asks, obviously, Andrew Thomas is a priority, but out of McKinney, Saquon, and Dex, who would you prioritize to resign, and who would you be most okay with letting out the door?
2: That's a great question. It I is. would say, after Thomas, my priorities would go McKinney, Dexter, then Saquon. I think I'm the same. Yeah.
1: I think I'm the same, and that that says we're okay with Saquon going out the door, which sounds absolutely asinine and ridiculous, but it's just not amazing. when you're
2: thinking of it from a long-term roster building standpoint, of course, exactly.
1: It, it sounds ridiculous, but it's the nature of the running back position. It's right. the history of health for sake, one Barkley. Yep. And I understand this offense is nothing. Without this player, we have praised Saquon Barkley, yet we still maintain this opinion because both Dan and I believe it's the way you build a successful roster. The Giants are still a few key pieces away from competing for meaningful football games in the playoffs and at the Super Bowl level. And I think getting yourself into a situation where you could be like Dallas Cowboys right now with Ezekiel Elliott or like the Rams. I know the Rams might not even be the best example because they won a Super Bowl, but still, they allocated so much to Todd Gurley and <laughs> even Jared Goff. And they still found a way to win by acquiring Matt Stafford. It goes to Dan's point about the cap and how you can move a lot of different things around because they don't even believe in draft picks out there. But you don't want to eat that kind of dead cap if you re-sign a running back to a massive deal, running back with an injury history like a Todd Gurley. Like Even though they ended up winning the Super Bowl, that was still a huge, terrible decision by the Rams. It's just they ended up finding a way to right. get around it. So I don't want the giants to be in that position. So I we would have to say I guess Saquon is the one that would go out the door out of all those players, which is it's weird not a player
2: thing. It's just look that you go by the numbers and running backs fall off a cliff at age 27. There are very few at age 26. It's really that age 27 season where it starts to decline. There are very few like great running backs in the NFL. Even right now who are 28 or 29 or 30 or 31. So you just have to look at it like that. You have to look at the position, the positional value. Look, if you get, if you lose Saquon of all those guys, right? Say you lose Saquon, What gives you a better chance of build? You can still build out a good running game if you develop a great offensive line. But, you know, if you lose, let's say a McKinney, how long is it going to take you to find another safety like that? And how bad is your team going to look if you have the safety in there that's not a McKinney's level? So it's also positional value to me, too. I really do believe a running back is in this Saquon's kind of throwing that in his face. But we know that we've seen on film that part of why Saquon's having such a good year is scheme. And good run blocking. Like, there have been some really good run blocking plays. Sure, the all-line has been great in pass protection, but that's independent of what they're doing in the run game. This has been the best run blocking I've seen from the Giants my entire career covering this team, including that 2,000 run, if you want to call it that, by Judge. He's, like, winning games against, like, Brandon Allen. Everyone's like, oh, my God, he's so good. Like, even then, like, there was, like, he had the game against Seattle where it was really just an unbelievably undisciplined defense they faced. I just feel like there wasn't really any amazing run blocking any time until recently where they're starting to get a groove in the run game and they're physical and they're taking it downhill. Even last game after Jones got injured and they were forced to play like Wildcat, they're still finding running lanes. They're still finding ways to create stuff and getting key first down. So I don't know. I just running back for me is never going to be a position. I'm crazy about losing. No, I totally understand that. Okay. Giants news says first round pick next year, corner or wide receiver for picking around 15. Dan and I
1: probably have the same answer here, and I think it's just going to come down to the best available player, who yes. fits best. But let's just hypothetically say, Dan, two guys, same exact grade, yep. same exact everything. I think I'm going to go with a cornerback. What about you?
2: I'm going to go with re- – oh, I hate taking receivers. It's tough. Receivers. It's tough. I hate taking receivers early, but um, I just feel like t- – given what we've seen from like all these guys, they've rotated in Fabian Moreau. I don't know how much of this is just influenced by recency bias, by the fact that we faced Cooper Rush, Baker Mayfield, Justin Fields for three of our four games. And like, maybe if I was facing Aaron Rodgers types every week or more often, I'd be like, ah, crap, we really need a corner. But right now I feel like this team does actually need a need a receiver more than a corner. It's crazy. And I think
1: that's an excellent point. And it kind of goes to the nuance of a, a question like this. Great question, by the way, but let's, let's have a little fun with this, Dan. If you had to choose between Patrick Sertan or Garrett Wilson, both picked around the same part of the draft, different years. Garrett Wilson obviously the year,
2: which direction would you go? Okay. And based on how good this question is, I'm changing my original question pick to corner because I just definitely rather have Patrick's. There's so fewer Patrick Sertans in the NFL than Garrett Wilson's. That's the key. There's more depth at receiver.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm right
2: there with you. But then
1: you could also argue, what about J.C. Horn? And then you're like, eh, he didn't really pan out as well, even though it's yeah. kind of disingenuous to say injury. that because yeah, of the injuries. Yeah, But, yeah, I, I would, I think I'm going to go corner. Good yeah, question. I just feel
2: like there's a better chance of landing a, a good receiver in round two than there is a good corner. Much better.
1: Yeah, the Michael Pittman's of the world, yeah, players I mean, like
2: that. Corner cool. thins out super fast. Receiver does not thin out as fast. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, <laughs> Fella! A fella! I don't know what your real name is. I'm just calling you A fella! You know that movie, (laughs) Nick? Are you talking about Stella? Yeah, it's like a Stella reference. Why are you saying Fella? I don't, I don't know if it's Fella. His name one. is Fella, St- Stella, something. You talk about Stella?
1: Yeah, right? this guy's name is Fella
2: yeah. something. So, said, so what would a realistic trade involving Leo, Will- uh, uh, Leonard Williams, look like? The, no, I can just answer this real quick. No one's trading for Leonard Williams. There's a ton of cap that's been pushed back to this next year because Dave Gettleman's Dave Gettleman, and he's going to be the fourth highest paid non-quarterback next year. Literally, no one's trading for that contract. So. No. one. Yeah, there, no trade. Na. I was, I was going to say, I don't know what the realistic trade would be because of those reasons. OK, let's go to the next one. Mohammed got Mohammed. Gacha asks, how do you guys foresee Wandell being used this week? Assuming Tony is a no go is Wandell definitely playing. I don't think it's a definite situation,
1: but he got a limited practice in Wednesday, which I mean, according with Kadarius, Tony got a limited practice in Wednesday and then he didn't practice Thursday. But let's just say that he's playing. I think he assumes the Richie James role and he plays it probably to a higher standard or a a higher mark than what Richie James has If he's fully healthy and up to speed, I think Wando Rob, I think the offense passing attack is going to run through Wando Robinson once he gets back.
2: Yeah, that's you know you that okay he also says does this defense have a role for ellerson smith if and when he is designated to return from injury absolutely i think you can
1: definitely leverage the skill set of ellerson smith and i think it just adds another competent edge body to their pass rush and kind of keeps the legs of aziz ojalari cave on tibidot jihad ward oshane zimenez tom on fox more fresh because the more bodies that wink can recycle into the into the defense the more the, the better they can be i Essentially, that's kind of what he did with Baltimore as well. I know he had like Justin Houston and, and Odafe Owe play a lot of snaps, but he used like every defensive body that he had. And
2: I think he'll do the same once Ellerson comes back. This is a great question. Alex Zonic asks, Nick, would you eat an extra, extra large portion of fish and chips? If that meant the giants win in London? Isn't that like fried fish and like. Oh yeah, this is battered battered and fried fish and the chips are just steak fries essentially. Sounds terrible. Um, Yeah. Let me me explain to you what an extra, extra large portion is, at least in my head as I read it. Uh, A normal portion, you're going to probably get four pieces of fish, three or four pieces of fish. So let's, let's turn that into, you have to eat seven or eight pieces of fried fish and now they they usually load up the fries. So you're probably getting like at least a pound of, of steak fries.
1: Yeah, I can't do that. Like, I physically you can't can do, do it. That. Yes, you can. No, no. Uh, yes, I, you can. I don't think so. I don't There's think no my body would agree with it. I don't There's think no my time. body. What's up?
2: There's no time limit. <sighs> Jeez.
1: I mean, I would do it to secure a win for
2: sure. There's and I so. would apologize to my toilet afterwards. But also, I, you, I... Mean, you should have thrown in. This is on you, Alex, because you. Yeah, exactly. Apologize to his toilet. I'm not going to go in the direction I could go here. (laughs) Like he didn't give any like uh, any special circumstances. Who knows if he can just like, you know, what if he wants to throw up the food? I'm not saying Nick would do that. I don't know anything about that, (laughs) but what if he wants to do that? That's giving him an option. So don't give him that out. He has to consume the food, let it pass through his system, taking all those calories, That'd be terrible, but for ah. a Giants win, I would I would think about it. I might do that for fun, Alex. I might just do that to do it. Oh. <laughs> so fuck it. Uh, Jesse Lamas asks, what's the best – can you name some of the best Italian delis in New Jersey?
1: Mm, best Italian delis in New Jersey. I'm sure, Dan, I know you have a couple in the Montclair and the Madison area and the Chatham area that you brought up
2: to me. So you want to list those? Okay. Let's start with the best that's not in any of those areas. Um, and that would be Fiori's Fiori's in Hoboken, New Jersey. It's by far and away the best Italian deli you can find. It's got the best mutts. It's got an unbelievable, um, it's special on Saturdays with the roast beef with the gravy and the mutts. Great, great deli, everything like that. Um, an old-school great deli that's now, I heard, like out of business or she canceled it. She used to run it out of her house. Tuto Fresco. This was actually the best chicken cutlet and the best – it's actually the best mozzarella over Fiori's, which no one knows about, in Livingston, New Jersey. Tuto Fresco. I don't think she's running it anymore. I don't live near there anymore, so I don't know. But people have told me she's not running that anymore. That would be up there for me as well. Um there's a one that used to be right by my house in montclair i can't believe i'm forgetting it now it's not belgevines which is also good it's um fuck, how am i forgetting this name this is the this is an amazing one right uh right off of bloomfield ave downtown montclair um why am i forgetting the name this is brutal to be forgetting this on air uh in montclair new jersey someone's gonna have to help me out with this this is one of the best italian delis there is they got the, they have a pepperoni bread. They probably the best pepperoni bread. This is not their featured thing, but they have the, probably the best pepperoni bread in the in the state. Um, fuck, what's the name of this place? I can't believe I'm blanking on this name. But those are my Sparrow? big three right there. What is it? Sparrows? No, no, no. sparrows. Yeah.
1: No, not Sbarro's. Sbarro's. Oh, okay. No, no, it's not yeah. that.
2: It's Sabarro.
1: It's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not talking about Michael Scott's favorite pizza. Yeah.
2: It's not Sbarro's. Pizza I know Sbarro's. Beer. It's not Belgevines, which is also good. It's right by Belgevines. How am I forgetting this name? It's like uh, so obvious. Damn it. Whatever. This is devastating that I forgot the name. It's right. If, if those who are wondering, it's like right by where um, um, Diesel and Duke, the burger place is right by the train. So someone, someone help us out off pod, but those are the big three for me. Number one being Fiori's. Okay.
1: Yeah. There's two, there's two that come to my mind though, just from like where I grew up. One actually closed and I don't even remember the name, but my mother and I would, would go there frequently. But the one that's still open is in Succasona. It's Jean Carlos. It's, it's pretty damn good. They got great bread. It's a bakery, great cakes, all that kind of stuff. But the deli is also elite.
2: Okay. I like it. I might have to stop by those. All right. We've got two more. One is going to be Jesse Aranor who asks how pissed can I be if Saquon doesn't spend his entire career with the Giants? And are you guys Knicks or Nets fans?
1: There's only one answer to the the last question, and that's yeah. Knicks. And in terms of Saquon, well, you can be as pissed as you want. To be honest, I mean that's that that's on you, bro. Uh, <laughs> I would, I mean, I can understand why fans would be upset if Saquon Barkley's not back. And like Dan and I have said this entire podcast, could also understand why he isn't back. I think both those things can coexist. But in terms of Knicks Nets, come on, what are we doing here?
2: Knicks all the way. Yeah, it's gotta be Knicks, even though I grew up as a Nets fan, but weird. I didn't I didn't grow up as a Nets fan, I should say. I just grew up when they were in Jersey, I supported all Jersey teams. So I kind of liked them when they had Jason Kidd, but it's always been the Knicks, and it should be the Knicks. As far as you can be as pissed as you want, dude. This is one of my big things that I see on Giants Twitter, Nick, that I don't tweet about, but I have like typed up this tweet and sent it and saved it as drafts like 15 times. I get so angry when people on Giants Twitter to try to tell people how they can and can't be fans. Let people root for the team however they want. If they want the team to get a better draft pick, let them do it. It doesn't hurt you at all. What the hell do you care? If they don't think that it's good to win nine games now because it screws up their chances long term, whatever, let them think like that. Why do you care? Like, why I hate people who do the tweet, like, look at this fan. He's such an idiot and an asshole. Like, dude, shut up. Like, let them be a fan however they want. It doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect the team. It's not going to affect if they win or lose. And so, Be a fan of everyone. If you want to be insanely angry that the Giants don't re-sign Barkley, be insanely angry that the Giants don't re-sign Barkley. It's your choice. It's your freedom. I don't care. Nick doesn't care. It doesn't affect us. It doesn't affect the Giants at all. So do you, man? That's all I have to say. I say my piece because that shit bothers me more than almost anything else on Giants Twitter.
1: I feel you, man. I feel you. Now we have this. Is this the last question from Rob Leonard?
2: Yes, the last one.
1: Yes. So with the game in London this week, can I pitch you guys Crystal Palace As an EPL team, don't be lame and follow Liverpool or Manchester United like everybody else.
2: That's how I imagine he would have written that in his head. I respect that. You imagine he would have written that. Um, Great question. Uh, Let's say this, Rob. EPL wise, I need to get into it really badly. There's plenty of people in my life who've been telling me I need to get into it. I know I need to get into it. I have a hard time picking up another sport right now. I'm already so like sports oriented with work and life. As far as who would I pick? So here's the big question. My brother played for MatchFit when he grew up. It's like a Jersey team sponsored by Chelsea. So he's a diehard Chelsea fan. My boss is also a diehard Chelsea fan. They've been pushing hard for me to be a Chelsea fan. My One of my best friends, Brett, Brett Childs, is a diehard Liverpool fan. And he would almost disown me if I went to Chelsea. He hates the idea of Chelsea. They have anti-Semitic overtones that are going on, some issues with anti-Semitism that I haven't looked into. Apparently just a horribly run team, like from the, the people who own the team are horrible people. You could probably tell me more on that, Rob, but it's so hard for me to just tell my brother. No, if I end up going and I would love to be Liverpool just simply by the fact that, like, I love their slogan. You never walk alone. It's the greatest thing in sports. Literally, you cannot have a better team slogan than you never walk alone. It gives me chills just thinking about how good that is. Now, as far as what I would pick, Rob, the problem is this EPL is a league with no cap. Basically, it's just whoever spends the most basically is good man city was nothing and then they just got that a rob money and and they became and i don't mean it like that but they got a lot of money from somebody and they became one of the best teams year after year like it's just teams are just bought and won so like i don't want to pick a team that's going to lose all the time rob so i gotta be honest with you i'd probably pick liverpool or chelsea but as far as crystal palace goes i'll look into them
1: hey crystal palace can be good Uh, for me uh I like watching soccer, but I don't have like a favorite team. My girlfriend is a big Liverpool fan because of Fernando Torres. And I've heard her say, Fernando Torres, Liverpool's number nine. nine. So many damn times that if I had to pick a team, I guess I'd go in that direction. But I couldn't even name you one player. Okay, good
2: stuff. All right, that's it for today's mailbag. Thank you for everybody tuning in on the podcast or the YouTube page. Enjoy. Uh, Leave us a rating, review, subscribe, and like on YouTube. Do anything you can to help us grow. That's all we ask. Have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?